0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and no matter where you are in the, in the world and welcome to another edition of uh, the intuitive customer, uh, with uh, myself, Colin Shaw, um, and um, my colleague. How about that? I can even Hi, do it. R- Ryan Hamilton. Welcome. Glad to be here. Today's the second, second part two. Uh, we've worked out. Um, so, Ryan, do you want to talk a bit about what we're, what we're going to be
2: talking about today? Sure. So, most of these uh, podcasts kind of, or recordings kind of stand on their own. Uh, and this one should, too. If you haven't listened to the previous one, uh, that's fine. You'll be able to keep up. But we we did want to do this three-part series on prospect theory. So if you haven't heard of prospect theory, it's one of the big uh, scientific discoveries in behavioral economics in uh, applied psychology. It's um, done by these two guys, Kahneman and Tversky. Uh, this idea like, eventually won a Nobel Prize for the surviving member of that pair. Um, really, really big deal. Uh, Last time we talked about reference points, which is one part of prospect theory that's very important, so you can go back and listen to that if you want to. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the second of the three big ideas in prospect theory. Uh, This is diminishing sensitivity. So this was not a new idea. Kahneman and Tversky didn't kind of invent this idea. It had been around at least since the 1700s. This guy named Bernoulli, who's a Swiss polymath. He was an economist and a, a mathematician and a physicist. He developed the um, uh, the laws of fluid dynamics. So this is the guy who helped discover the math that allows your plane to fly and your plumbing to work. He's a really brilliant really guy. I was only reading his stuff the other day
1: thinking how
2: wonderful it was. Yeah, no you're a big word. fan. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Colin and I could go on about Bernoulli for just forever. Um, So, one of the things that this guy noticed, though, is he he said, you know, money's not always worth the same amount to everybody. So, if you were to give a a ducat, which is apparently the currency back then in Switzerland, um, if you were to give a a ducat to a a pauper, to a a poor person, that would really be great. This person would really appreciate it. If you were to give the same ducat to a prince, still good, you know, everybody likes getting money, but it just would not be nearly as, as big a deal. And that the idea that the more we have of something, uh, the less we appreciate each additional in- incremental gain, that's diminishing sensitivity. Now, what Kahneman Tversky added over what Bernoulli had discovered is uh, economists, starting with Bernoulli, had, had tended to think of this in terms of overall wealth. So, the richer you are as a person, the less sensitive you are to uh, incremental gains. Um, Kahneman and Tversky said, no, it's really about your reference point. So, and depending on where you start, the, the the more improved you are in that dimension, the less sensitive you are to incremental gains on that. So it's a little bit abstract. Let me um let me give you some examples. Just, 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 just from the example that
1: you've just said there, if I'm a pauper, the, my reference point is I'm a pauper. If I'm
2: a prince, my reference point is I'm a prince. Exactly. So your reference point would be I have very little money, so there's... Yeah hundred dollars feels like a lot to me, uh, or I have lots and lots and lots of money, so an extra hundred dollars, you know, not a big deal. So um, let me show you some of the, the early experiments that established this principle and demonstrated it. One was by another famous um, behavioral economic, e- economist uh, named uh, Richard Thaler. Um, it's the guy who authored uh, co-authored Nudge, if you've heard of that book. and yeah. um, And he he set up this uh, hypothetical situation. So imagine you were shopping, and you needed to buy a jacket and a calculator. Um, The jacket cost $15. The calculator costs $125. You go up to to pay for it, and the sales clerk says, hey, you know what? This $125 calculator is on sale at another branch of our store across town um, for $120 instead. Uh, So if you want to, you could drive 20 minutes across town and buy it for cheaper. And so the question was, if this were you, would you be willing to drive 20 minutes to save that money? And when they asked a group of people, only about 30% said yes. Um, most people said, no, they'd just buy the calculator. Or it is? Different group of people, same scenario, but they switched the prices. So this time the jacket costs $125, calculator on the cost $15. Same salesperson, same scenario, they said, hey, you know what? This same calculator is on sale for $10 across town. Um, so the, the question was, was the same in all conditions. It was essentially, are you willing to drive 20 minutes to save $5? Uh, and when it was $5 off of a $125 calculator, most people said no. But when it was $5 off of a $15 calculator, now suddenly two-thirds of the people said yes. Yeah, I would definitely do it. Same effort, same money. But it feels a lot larger when you're closer to that reference point, when it's off of a smaller amount of money. Right? So on one, uh, in one scenario, you're saving,
1: I don't know, I can't do a quick calculation in my head, but you know, 5%, on another calculation, you're saving 30%. 30. Yep. Uh,
2: but, it, but it's the same $5, right? Sure. So from a strictly rational perspective, there should be no difference here, but, but that's exactly what's driving it, right? It feels a lot more. It's, it's a third off. You know we see this the same we all act this way when we're going grocery shopping so you see the tuna and the cans of tuna all cost about a dollar and so you just sit there and pour over the differences in these cans of tuna and which one is and we're talking about like three or four cents difference across these different tunas yeah. when you get over to the meat counter you know you're buying this25 dollars steak you know and this one's 25 dollars and this one's thirty dollars and this one's 32. And you're much less sensitive to those price differences. It's the same money in the same shopping trip. But when it's off of a small amount, it feels a lot more than when it's off of a bigger
0: amount. The Intuitive Customer Podcast is brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Since 2002, Beyond Philosophy has been helping organizations improve their customer experience through their consulting, training, and research services. Find out more at beyondphilosophy.com. That's Beyond Philosophy.
1: Does this apply then? So I'm thinking. The other day I was driving around getting some gas, and uh, as I was driving around, I was checking out the different prices, and I ended up going to the one that was the cheapest. And when, but when I calculated, I, I saved about fifty cents or something stupid. And you just go, why do I bother? You know, for fifty, yeah. it's just not
2: worth it. You know, is is that the same? Is that the same issue? So there, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on with how we buy gasoline. Um, right. But this is one of them, right? And part of the reason that we care so much is because um, a, a few pennies off of that, whatever three dollars per gallon or whatever it is now, um, feels like a lot. Uh, And even if you scale that up to a full tank's worth, you're right. You know, usually we're dealing with savings of 50 cents or a buck or a couple bucks. Uh, It's nothing that we would care about in a lot of situations. But because of the way gasoline's advertised, we've got this huge headline price that's kind of a small dollar price. We're very sensitive to incremental changes in that price. Whereas if we were to buy gasoline per year, um, then we would be much less sensitive. you know, when, when people talk about buying cars or, or houses, uh, they tend to be much less sensitive to price swings of thousands of dollars sometimes. I, I know I'm probably going off topic, but the interesting
1: thing for me is, and there's a whole concept, I can't remember what it's called, you may be able to enlighten me, um, where you save people, save money on you know, small amounts of savings. To enable them to buy luxury and branded branded goods. So oh, trading, trading up. Yes, that's it. Trading up. Thank yeah. you. Uh, yeah, it, it's you know I'm going to scrimp and save over here, and now irrationally I'm going to buy this big ticket item over here, where actually you know, other than the brand name, it's exactly the same as 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 something
2: else. I that I, I, that isn't part of diminishing uh, sensitivity. No, it could be. So, so I think trading up can happen in a couple of different ways. I mean, there's kind of a, a, a rational trading up phenomenon where I decide that I love golf and golf is what brings me the most joy in life. And so I'm going to go all out and I'm going to go to fancy clubs and I'm going to buy the best um, you know golf clubs I can get. And I realize that I'm going to have to cut back in other areas of my life. So that's one form of trading up. Uh, the way that you just described it, I think, could be a diminishing sensitivity, sensitivity phenomenon where... I'm kind of accidentally trading up because I'm not as sensitive about the price differences on big ticket items uh, because it just feels, right, that that $5 off of the expensive calculator feels like nothing. And so I'm willing to pay more there, whereas on the smaller stuff, maybe I'm really scrimping and saving. So I think that that can lead to kind of non-conscious trading up. It can also lead to some really like unfortunate um, decisions around kind of personal finance. Um, A lot of people will, um, you know, make decisions uh, and really track their spending on small stuff that ends up not mattering that much. And then when it comes to larger, more expensive things where they really could do themselves some good financially by by cutting back, they're just kind of less sensitive to price changes there. Sure, sure. So I guess going back to your
1: your main um, point here, it, I guess the issue becomes understanding the customer's reference points. Good. Yep. So if you understand the customer's reference points, then you can understand the effect that that has on them. And I'm also presuming that I'm also presuming that it's not also just about this diminishing sensitivity is not just about money. Um, no. It could also be about levels of service. So Absolutely. if I don't ever fly at all, uh, how I'm treated if and I'm diamond on 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 Delta because I'm flying all the bloody time. Um, you know, something with some that you give somebody who's never flown at all is very different to what my diminishing sensitivity
2: on, on, on those things. Excellent. So so two important insights there that I wanna unpack because I think they really help us understand how to apply diminishing sensitivity. So the first one that you mentioned is um, that it, it applies to more than just prices, and that's absolutely correct. Uh, essentially, almost anything um, that we can kind of evaluate and, and measure uh, and think of differently, we should expect diminishing sensitivity. So one example that I'll use in, in class, because it seems to resonate with uh, a lot of my students, is think about video game graphics. Right? So I'll even show them a picture of football on the Atari twenty six hundred. Right? So one of these early stage, early nineteen eighties video games. And when I show them, uh, they don't even they can't even tell what game it is. Like they don't it's not clear that it's football from a screenshot of it. It's these three little alien-looking characters. Um, they, today they don't know how lucky they are do they? That, that's exactly it, right? So <laughs> and then I'll show them this, these successive screenshots of better video game systems. So we go from an 8-bit system to a 16-bit system, and we can see that these kind of modest improvements in in graphics quality really rapidly lead to very steep improvements in playability, right? After a couple of generations of video games, it's it's obvious that it's football, right? And now we start to get a third dimension added in there, and the characters start to look more human. If we go out into the realms where we are now of of Madden, like we're getting close to photorealism now, um, where if you look at the pictures side by side, so Matt in 2010 versus 2012 or whatever, you can yeah. tell, right? You can tell that they're improving. But if I showed them to you one at a time, like separated by a minute, you wouldn't be able to remember which one was better because they're already so good that even if we're objectively improving, it's just subjectively it's it, it's it's already so good that that we're not sensitive to those differences. So yeah. Anything that's improving um, from a customer standpoint, we should expect diminishing sensitivity. So, if your service level has been is really great, then objectively improving your service level, still good, but we should expect customers to not respond very strongly to that. If you go to the Four Seasons and they've made all these changes so that their service is even better, if you notice, you might say, "Oh, that's nice," but we're not talking about giving a prince a uh, ducat, right? It's small incremental changes. Whereas if your service is terrible, then improving it a little bit might really make a huge difference in terms of your, your customer experience to, your, to how your customers uh, evaluate it.
0: We're so pleased that you're listening to this episode of The Intuitive Customer. As a listener, we want to offer you a free download of Colin's ebook unlocking the hidden customer experience take advantage of this free offer being made available only to listeners of this podcast do it now just go to beyond slash podcast and follow the link for the free book that's beyond slash podcast
1: so again an, a practical example of that would be uh and again i'm just thinking about what happened to me the other day um so uh, i've fl- um, I've been having some challenges flying Delta recently, uh, mm-hmm. and I ended up complaining. Um, and they ended up giving me fifteen thousand miles, uh, Sky Miles, for my problems. Mm-hmm. If I had only flown once and I'd had the same problems, they could have got away with giving them three thousand miles. Um, and both both parties, you know, I have to say, fifteen thousand miles to me was like, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, it's better than in the eye with a blunt stick. Um, that's exactly it. Yeah, you know, actually, if you go fifteen thousand miles to somebody that never flown before, then you know, blinding. That's
2: they'd probably be googling where they can spend that money. That's exactly it. Or, or think about it in terms of um, the total number of miles you you already have in your account, right? So you you know probably have enough Sky Miles to to fly to the moon and back for free. Um, in your account. And so adding 15,000 to that is, you know, drop in the ocean. Like, who cares? Whereas if I only had 5,000 miles in my account, then adding 15,000 to that just feels yeah. like this enormous boon to me. Um, even though it's the same and it can buy the same number of tickets from it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so how do you understand the customer's point of reference?
1: How do you uh, how do we how do we articulate that reference
2: point? Do you see what I'm trying to get to? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, so d- before we answer that, let me let me lead into it. So your, your question about reference points was, was spot on. Um, when I show my video game example to my students, I say, you know, this is where I started. I My first video game experience was playing on the Atari 2600, and so I remember these little alien creatures playing football. And so when I see, you know, Madden today or, or these, these video games that look f- almost photorealistic, uh, I'm just blown away, and I'm very insensitive to subsequent changes. A lot of my students didn't start there. They started way up higher on that curve. And so, you know, there's some point where you know, the graphics are just so real, it's hard to improve on them. But I would expect that my students, a lot of them, the younger ones, would have a different reference point than I do. And so would be... A little bit more sensitive to uh, those improvements because the reference point started off in a different place. So um, we need we need to figure out what the reference point is. Now getting to your other question of how do we do that, well, that's a discussion worth having. Um, I mean it, it it depends on the dimension. So you want to define what um, what is being measured. So in the case of the sky miles, we want to figure out how are people going to evaluate getting sky miles from us you should figure out how many sky miles do they have in their account or how many historically and they had up to this yeah, point?
1: I I think I was coming at it from a slightly different way and let, let's carry on using the analogy of the of the video game yeah. um so so the the reference point you're referring to there is the visual quality of the of the of, of, of the game yeah. whereas other things in the game would have also been improved Maybe the number of teams that they had, maybe customization of the teams, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Maybe just the speed, you know, etc. So I guess the interesting question for me becomes, well, which one of those do you choose? And I guess my answer would be you choose the one that drives the most value for, that gives you the sort of the highest propensity to, 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 to buy. So by definition, you'd need to do some research on which things drive most value to be able to say, okay, it's that thing that we've got to focus on to find out what the reference points are. Would that make sense from your
2: perspective? Oh, that's, that's exactly it, right? So uh, in, in the theories of decision-making, a lot of times we'll talk about uh, the evaluation on a dimension and also the weighting of the dimension, so how important is it? So we as as customers have reference points for a lot of the different things that we're evaluating. Um, So my reference point for graphics quality is going to be at one point. My reference point for kind of level of customization is going to be somewhere else. So diminishing sensitivity is a theory about individual dimensions or attributes, right? So, um, So each of these is going to be evaluated in a different way. But to your point, they don't all matter to the same degree, And so if you want to figure out where to focus your efforts, you need to figure out not just how are people evaluating each of these attributes, what's their reference points, but also which are the most important, which are driving the most value, which are the most influential on their decisions. And I presume those decisions
1: can also then be affected by external factors. So, for instance, if I've got a 4K TV uh, and I'm watching 4K movies, uh, then my decision, my reference point again is shifted by that as opposed to watching a old Cafe ro- Ray tube, you know,
2: playing the game through a Cafe Ray tube or whatever. That's right. The, one mistake that, that firms sometimes make is assuming that the reference point is driven by themselves and their competitors. When the reality is, your, your customer's reference point could come from an entirely different category, right? So, um, you know, you and I have worked together uh, consulting with a firm that did uh, provided a home improvement product um, for customers, and and we talked with with that uh, manufacturer. It may be that customers' reference points are based on some other home improvement products that are very similar. It could be though that the customers' reference points for the, that experience are based on anybody coming into the home, so cable installers or plumbers or um, you know. Uh, I don't know a firemen who came to the home to to check something out, or, so we don't know where the customer's reference point is. But they're not going to be, um, you know, polite enough to us as a company to limit their reference point to just the industry standard that we are working within. Um, your reference point could come from anywhere, and so to the extent that we can get in the heads of our customers and figure out are are there a consistent set of, of expectations that people are having um, based on our advertising based on, on our competitors' performance, based on things that are completely unrelated. You know, your, your reference point for what service should be like at Delta could be coming from your
0: experiences with the hotel industry.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, it really depends on kind of what the customers are using to evaluate that.
0: The Intuitive Customer is being brought to you by Beyond Philosophy your frontline teams should be trained on how they can practically influence customer decision using some of the psychological techniques discussed in these podcasts. To understand Beyond Philosophy's unique approach to the training of frontline teams, just go to beyondphilosophy.com employee training. That's beyondphilosophy.com employee training.
1: The other part is there must be a societal or, or you know, uh, influence in the sense of my reference point is my neighbors have had this home improvement done and therefore I need to keep up with the Joneses and um, have the same type of thing
2: done. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it It can be word of mouth. So I remember when I moved to Atlanta, I was talking with a coworker. worker um, and before I had ever gone into this particular grocery store chain, which was local, I, I had never been in one before, um, this coworker told me, oh, yeah, that's that's a real expensive store. Right? And so she would set this expectation for me before I had ever stepped foot in that store. And so I walked in the very first time, biased, if you want to put it that way, and I had a set of expectations um, okay. that I may or may not have formed on my own after I shopped there. I think that there are similar things that go on in the customer experience realm where firms get a reputation for doing things one way or another um, and customers go into it and will evaluate it accordingly. Uh, sure. Based on sure.
1: Sure. Good. Okay. All right. Well, I think we've come to the um, the end of our time. Um, so I hope that was of uh, use to you. An interesting topic. As I said, there's lots and lots of gems that um, that we can pull out of academia and particularly Ryan's brain. Uh, so um, thank you very much for your time if there's any topics that you'd like us to, to deal with in the future uh, then um, let us know or any problems one of the things that Ryan and I were chatting away about was um, you know, it would be interesting to take a customer problem and then apply some of this theory to that problem uh, so uh, if you uh, have got any of those um, then, then just go on to our website beyondphilosophy.com that's beyondphilosophy.com, um, and um, just go to contact us, and you'll see a contact form there, and just ping that over, and we will um, um, we'll uh, we'll have a look at uh, that and see if that's worth um, worth a conversation, and um, I'm sure that that will be uh, a good way of looking at it as well.
2: So, Someone had, had told me about his secret desire to be the dear Abby or Doctor Ruth of uh, customer experience. He, he really, yeah. He really wants to give, Dr. Phil, he really wants to give advice. So if you've got no. problems that you're solving, let us know. I've been, um, Jerry
1: Springer would be. Um, <laughs> Jerry, Jerry. That for an interesting discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, uh, especially some of the topics that they have on. Talk about diminishing res- uh, sensitivity with them. I mean, that's, true. <laughs> yeah. Harder and harder to get outraged, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thanks very much, everybody. Uh, check us out in the next uh, couple of weeks, and we um, look forward to uh, um, having you again on uh, The Intuitive Customer. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye now.
0: This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.